Hello, Toby Haydock here. I have my latest Who's Round victim for you. Shall I kill him? Ah, I'll just interview him. So we just had a lovely lunch, and we've been doing lots of talking already, but now we're going to commit it to record. I'm speaking to, I have to say, a legend of the Doctor Who universe. So I'm going to ask me to tell uh, me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Um, because I had a good fortune, I, Peter Miles, M-I-L-E-S, to be doing very, very good at speaking roles and major roles in Doctor Who in what is called the golden era of the entire programme since 1962. The golden era, I think is right, I'm saying Pertwee, the scripts for Pertwee and Tom Baker. As usual with Doctor Who, there's a variety of stuff goes on each week. It's not always about dinosaurs. Um, and there were several directors who were training, like Tim Coombe, uh, who were friends of mine already, because I'd made friends with people when I was doing um, studio work, uh, Fringe Theatre, including one that's uh, very successful in St. Martin's Lane. It was on the fifth or sixth floor of a building opposite the theatres in St. Martin's Lane. And when it became professional, we were doing... I mean, for instance, I was doing Chekhov, one-man play on the harmfulness of tobacco, and with a lovely director who's still at the Beeb. And it was in the Guardian newspaper in London, in what was called then Recommended Theatre. So out of all the damn theatres in London, about six... He'd, he'd recommended the critic um, six plays, and the fifth one was there's a, an actor called Peter Mars starring in Chekhov at the whatever it was called, and um, we we recommend him in the recommended guide. Uh, I admit I had a good part played by Chekhov for crying out loud, and a very good director who's now, I don't think his rank, at rank is producer at the Beeb. I think his name is Ralph Wilton. But, so, um, I don't know why I've moved into, stu into Fringe Theatre at this early stage of the speech. <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't. But, my God, I've done some interesting plays in Fringe. Um, so, I shot into major roles in the gold, what is called the golden era. Go golden era. Speak clear, Peter. Yes, I will. Thank you. So that although I, I don't think Invasion of the Dinosaurs was a great one, it was a very good one for me to do with Martin Jarvis and William Franklin. Very good role, indeed. Good plot. Mm. Technically, dinosaurs weren't so hot as they are in the 21st century, but then what is? 21st century is a different world, technically speaking, a completely different world on TV. But the next lot of... Because I did 18 weeks playing big parts in Doctor Who. The next one was with John Pertwee, again... Or was it Genesis? Who so you, cares? Well, you did Silurians, then you did Invasion of the Dinosaurs, both with John Pertwee, and then you did Genesis of the Daleks. Ah. Uh, well, Silurians was a strong part with a strong script. Don't... The, the waiter man, agrees with you. <laughs> there's, there's a horrible man who preferred Blake Seven throwing <laughs> things at me. <laughs> That's the end of that lie. Uh, I think... Because... I mean, Obviously, 
Niger is the most famous part, but I, I think Dr. Lawrence in Doctor Who and the Silurians is a brilliant part, a Thank brilliant you. performance. Thank and I think you're, de- and I was discussing this with another friend the other day, your death scene in Doctor Who and the Silurians is bereft of actor's vanity because it is awkward and it is ugly and, uh, 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 and has that ridiculousness about it that most actors want to die beautifully do you know what I mean and, yeah. and make, make, make it look sort of rather impressive but I think it's a brilliant scene thank you very much most, act, most actors don't, don't have the plague from a Silurian close to their death knowing that they're terribly ill and have been waiting for months to tell off the flipping brigadier <laughs> that he's in my office and in my research centre day after day with flipping John Pertwee as Doctor Who. Uh, and they're getting on my nerves. And so all that pent upness. Mm. It's brilliant. Bursts like a boil. It's horrendous. I mean, I first thought, oh my God, I've turned it into a farce. But I looked at it secretly on my own several times in my life and it's not it is true what I've done it's true to what would happen yes and it's a wonderfully British thing of that you know yes the character's annoyance with with the fact that he's lost his research centre and his position is sort of what's on his mind as yeah. he's losing his life yeah I mean it's not too easy a job when you've only got a few seconds to get on that in that set and do it after waiting to go on to do it because of makeup on my face took a long time, to explode uh, right off the top of your head. I didn't know I was going to do certain notes musically, if you want, you understand me. Hysterically is the word, isn't it, you know, where you go up a few octaves. <laughs> it all came out, as I say, like um, when you, a boil is uh, exploded, to put it mm-hmm. crudely. Um, it just came out, and uh, it did work. I've looked at it carefully. It does work. Yes. And what about Mr. Mr. Pertwee, your doctor? How, how did you find working with him? I absolutely adore working with John Pertwee. I miss him terribly. I think he's... How, how one is to be professional in, in a, a difficult job, making a new episode every flipping week with new casts, it's not easy. And I thought he was absolutely terrific. And he's like the actor, the director I used to know, Gerald Lake. He and John Pertwee both loved actors. They loved working with people. He's also a professional comedian, John Pertwee, so he was such a joy to work with. Just absolutely a joy. Mostly, he's so damn professional. It sounds silly to talk about a business that is terribly professional, but there's something about John Pertwee that I knew what was going on every second, his timing, everything about him. I admire him non-stop. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but when Tom Baker took over, an actor that was considered... by Barry Letton came very close to being cast as John Pertwee's replacement uh, was with you in Doctor and the Silurians and that was Fulton Mackay you're uh, joking no and he was for a while the, 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 the front runner to be to be the Doctor before Tom Baker before they found Tom Baker I'm trying to see it I see it I, ser- I see a certain side of Fulton Mackay that is Doctor Who but is he a big enough... I don't know, I must be careful what I say. It's, it's very easy to pinpoint somebody doing Doctor Who, isn't it? Well, and also, I, I, I wouldn't choose Fulton, but Fulton's a very good actor. And also very hard, I guess, to imagine anybody that isn't Tom Baker doing it because Tom Baker made such an impression. So He has a fan, fan club that is so long, it's not true, it's... At a signing, it's unbelievable. Mm. I was in Folkestone in a Doctor Who convention this year, sitting next to Tom, and the queue to see Tom is just wonderful. It's just wonderful. But they'll never, they'll never stop uh, having a fan club that's gigantic for him. It's huge. And of course, he'd, right. he'd only just sort of started playing the part um, when when you did when Genesis I did, yes. Alex with him. So he was, I guess, he was very much finding his feet. He was, but he was no beginner, an actor, as an actor. 
because I watched him carefully at rehearsals. <coughs> he loved reading the script and pencilling a bit out. Uh, but it was well written. It, we, he was doing good things when he wrote, I don't want that bit in, or could I have this bit in? And he didn't take very long deciding it, whereas Fulton Mackay would take about an hour talking to the director while the cast watched. Right. Oh, there wouldn't have been time for that on Doctor Who. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was there watching him in, in, in Silurians. Yeah. In, in, the, in the rehearsal room in Tooting. But of course, uh, the fans who have just sent me eight po Christmas cards this morning, and, oh. and plus, uh, would I please sign all the covers that I was in? This has all come through the post this very morning. Never escapes you, Doctor Who. They're always talking about Nida. I mean, that's. Well, and it's that, no, that's, no surprise, Peter. Let us not, no, let us I not know. undersell this. It's I'm a brilliant being, performance. I'm not putting on an act of being modest, believe me, I know what's going on <laughs> after all these years and when Michael Wisher was alive we went to a lot of lovely conventions and you get a lot of truth out of the, the fans, you can talk for a long time in those days. Well yourself and, and, and Michael are a very memorable contribution to, you know, the almost the definitive classic Doctor Who story. Genesis of the Dark. Everything so, worked. Did you know it was special when you when the when the scripts nope. landed on you on, nope. on your mat? No. Nope. No, nope, because I don't see it visually. I'm busy looking at the script. Sure. <laughs> and I didn't know we were going to have one of the greatest lighting directors the BBC's ever had. Duncan Brown. Mag yeah. Magnificent. Uh, or or the cast. I mean that cast gelled. And the idea of Terry Nation writing within the back of his brain uh, Adolf Hitler and Herr Himmler of the SS was there. It was the same philosophy as Hitler had. You exterminate who are no good in their opinion. You win every war by any means whatsoever. Uh, and you invent something which will control the world. How wonderful. Mm. But completely mad, of course. Of course. And how beautifully played by Michael Wisher as Davros. Yes, it's an extraordinary performance from behind the mask, isn't it? I mean, to give bring that much character to somebody who can do barely any facial expression. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, they gave me such super lines to say, you can't be a good actor if all you've got to say is, um, good evening, sir, nice to see you, your highness. And that's your only line. What can you do with that? I had a one line or two in one episode of uh, Paul Dark, I think it's called. Yes, Paul Dark, yeah. You know, when you do those things, you wish you'd never been born. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get the part like Nida, and I played even better parts on the stage in theatres, I'm glad to say, but Nida goes down a dream, I know. Yeah, it's, tr it's a wonderful part. Uh, wonderfully done. Well, let's let's find out what what led up to to Doctor Who for you, Peter. What what was your background, and were you were you always going to be a, a, an actor? And how did you how did you make your way into the profession? Uh, when I was eighteen, my dad, who was a man of authority and willing to spend money on his children, said. Uh, suddenly in the sitting room, and I'm about 18, he looked at me and said, um, how would you like to go to RADA? I said, what for? <laughs> and he said, well, it's very good for your diction, you see. And I said, uh, what's wrong with my diction? Um, it's better than it is now, I think. Um, oh, no, I don't, it doesn't interest me at all. No, I, I, I do like a bit of... Uh, I've done plays as a, as a kid in school in drama and I think I might do it as an amateur for fun so I hadn't been born in, in my, my brain and soul that I wasn't going to be an actor but it hit me like lightning after just a few short years as a professional teacher and doing a lot of amateur theatre <clears throat> it suddenly hit me like lightning that I cannot go on doing this amateur stuff it just doesn't work for me. And it hit me hard. And I, it, 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 it homed in so hard 
I knew uh, I was going to take steps somehow to achieve it. And fate said, right, Peter, we're going to move in pretty quick here because you're probably late 20s now. And fate did move in. I talked at a school in, on, near Hampstead Heath, a top grammar school then, William Ellis School. A lot of major names were in the theatre, <coughs> had their kids there. And one of them was Chris Langham, the boy, who now does sitcom and so forth. Said, why don't you come and visit mum and dad? I said, who's mum and dad? Well, my dad's a director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, Langham. And my mum is a top character actress. I should know all their names. Was it Michael Langham? He was one of the main directors of the RSC. Uh, he was an invalid, having gone to a prisoner of war in, in the Japanese uh, war as a British prisoner. Uh, so he never really recovered from that. He was nearly starved to death. And, but he had a career, a good career. He was a good director at RSC. And the mum said, Peter, come with me to, to Stratford. You drive me, Peter. She said, I'll introduce you to uh, Christopher Plummer, um, Eric Porter. And she took me to have tea with Geraldine McEwen. That was lovely. That was really, really nice in her lovely cottage. That was super. Uh, and one of them said, uh, why don't you write, to, there's auditions coming up at Sloan Square with, it could have been William Gaskell, or the old Vic, um, or why don't you audition for John Harrison? Write to John Harrison. That's what happened, and that's what happened, literally. I got the audition, I passed the audition. I was in Birmingham Rep that autumn <coughs> on a six-month contract, followed by a European tour. The European tour never happened at the last minute. We even had French francs in our pocket, and we never went the next day. It was cancelled. But the six months, you know, there I was in the deep end. The deep end, you know. Was I going to be scared? I was just nervous for the first week or two. But I knew it was inside me so deeply. I knew by what I read. I, I just used to read dramatically some of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories to my form, who was spellbound. I sent it to the Beeb even, and the Beeb said, this is good, um, very interesting, maybe we can use you broadcasting. I said, well, it, it would be my first job. I was honest with them, but they were impressed. So I had it in me, you know. I'd learnt a lot of craft because it was in me, I don't know. It's like, I have a friend who's head of Ronnie Scott's club. It was in him to be one of the greatest pianists in this country. It's in him. Of course he trains. It's in you, I'm telling you. I know a man who doesn't believe in talent. He says, oh, we're, we're all the same, all of us. <clears throat> I said, we're not, you know. Some people are born to sing like Sinatra. We're just born to do it. Well, you follow me. This is, and this is a side of you that the, the pure Doctor aficionados might not be aware of, is, is so where does the singing fit in, which you're still doing, and you turned up on a, was it a South Bank Show documentary or something, which quite yes. incongruously, yes. Uh, for, for those of us that know you from Doctor Who. So. And I'm on sale in, on a CD with Dusty Springfield this minute, round the world, Universal Music, no less. But I'm on track one of CD number two, Compact, to a book thing of CDs. See, what I, I'm being sold, it's being sold now. See what I we re we recorded when I was 19. So how did you meet, because a lot of people won't know this, that you, Peter Miles, Nida, and Dusty Springfield... Were friends. Were friends, and so how did that come about? And, and Because I can show you where they lived, uh, five minutes from here, in Ealing. Mum and Dad, brother and sister, Tom Springfield, Dusty... And Tom went to the same social club belonging to a church here, looking for a male quartet, which he found. He got two, one from the choir, one from amateur version of Gilbert and Sullivan. They could all do harmonies, by the way. And how he found me, I, I can't remember. It's too flipping long ago. But I joined the, 
going to their house for a year, ooh, two years, I think, on and off. I lived around the corner, so we just clicked, all of us. And Dusty was always in the sitting room listening to her brother and me and the other two guys. And one day she walked, waited till they left, and she came to my, the room of the parents' house where I'm standing and said, um, Peter, would you like to rehearse a duet? Would you like to record a duet with me? It's called Can't We Be Friends. It's an American songbook. I said, well, you know I'm a jazz man. I've collected records all my life. Uh, I know that one. And I was this straight guy. I did, I did the melody uh, with Tom, I mean. Tom didn't know they were going to be that famous, mind you. Neither of them knew then when they were in their late teens. They hoped, but they never knew how big they were going to become. Mm -hmm. No way. She was very introverted, very careful what she said and thought, because she wanted it so badly. Could she make it? She always doubted herself, always. Insecure, it's an awful uh, bug to carry inside you. But she invented, fates on her side, you see, invented this other alter ego character called Dusty Springfield. Completely different woman. Amazing. And the recording went damn well. I, you know, and Thames, uh, what was it, ITV Southbank, knew that from a, a, a composer friend of mine called, uh, he a, did years on television as a composer. Also, ITV and BBC, uh, Gabrielle Carrington. He had a friend who was working on the program. They just met accidentally. And they said to each other, what are you doing, what are you doing? And they, this one said, I'm doing the South Bank show devoted to Dusty. And my, my friend said, my God, one of my best friends was a close friend of Dusty when she, before she was famous. And they said, oh... He didn't do any music, did he? And they said, well, they made a record together, and that was it. I was interviewed immediately in my sitting room. Fantastic. Uh, and they said, play the record. They said, well, take that with us and make it more fresh and remastered and everything. It just happened like fate. Fate's moved in, you see. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. It's, it is extraordinary. And you're still, so you're, as we record this, you're, you're, you're singing on Sunday night, so you, you've not lost your passion... I can't have lost it. I've just devoted nine-tenths of my life, when I can, to music as a, as a lead singer. Um, for, I celebrate 21 years next February, where I've performed in public. I don't mean every month necessarily, but I've performed in public every year for 21 years, and I've had three or four tutors in my life which I take very seriously because I learned that from acting, that you have to be very professional, otherwise pack it in. Mm -hmm. I'm very hard on myself. And it's ongoing, as any musician will tell you. Musicians learn all the time, well, actors do, all the time. You're learning music. It's so subtle to, to do, much harder than people think to be good at it and look as if it's so easy. The perfect example of somebody like that in this world was Bing Crosby and Perry Como. It looked and sounded so easy to sing so beautifully, but it wasn't. It was hard work. They, they had to find themselves. And you have, to keep, you have to keep the voice in trims. You have to train. Absolutely. Tra training and practicing, as it were. Yeah. Exercising. The well, I exercised, yeah, seriously for about 10 years and tutors for about 20 years. It's only now that my repertoire is sort of ready to go, packed and parceled. Mm -hmm. And because I sing every week of my life now in what's called open mic stroke jam sessions, with sometimes difficult songs too, on purpose, to see if it's good for me, or to perform ones I do damn well. <coughs> Excuse my voice today. Um, for, for entertainment, you know. It's, it's work. The hard work's paid off anyway. It's hard work to, to be good at music, in my humble opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm sure musicians would agree with me, whatever their instrument, including the voice. It's given me much happiness, much happiness. 
Well, and, and I'd like to work for BBC Big Finish uh, one, at least once a year till I'm well, I'm alive. I adore yeah. doing that. Mm. Well, and of course, because you did, uh, uh, you, you've done that rare thing of having done television Doctor Who. You also did radio Doctor Who because Not you did uh, with uh, with John Pertwee and Elizabeth. That was Slade. a great script again. Yeah. How lucky can I get? With uh, Harold Innocent on his last yeah. job. Yes, Doctor Who in the Paradise of Death. Mm. It's a superscript. I mean, Harold Innocent and I as two villains <laughs> together. It's a wonder we didn't laugh. Wonderful. Absolutely divine, that is. Yeah. And Liz Sladen has to hit me in the stomach in that one. No, I hit... Did I hit her? No, she hit me. Yes, and I scream at her, you young puppy, I'll get you for this. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And in the PA system, my wild dogs barking, chained to something. It was pre-recorded in the studio. Right. And you knew her quite well, didn't you, Liz Sladen? Very well, I would say, yeah. I admire her, always will do. Well, we were talking about this before we started recording, isn't it? The actors, the fragility of an actor's self-confidence manifests itself in many different ways, yeah. doesn't it? Um, and you must have worked with... I mean, over the years of the actors that you've worked with, who, who would you say were the actors that you, you sort of admired the most in terms of their, their craft and performance? I think that's a very difficult question because I come here after doing music every week for 20 <laughs> years and you're asking me to refresh my memory because, uh, like some senior actors, one's memory does gradually fade as to quick memory mm. like uh, you would have with a mobile or a telephone or a book you've written or something. But um, staying with Doctor Who, I admired intensely uh, Nick Courtney I'd love to have seen him in some of his plays, but he did he did a bigger deal for a hell of a long time. I've admired all the doctors, but it would be very naughty of me to say I give you know, Sylvester McCoy uh, 70 out of 100, or then I'd have to say I give Tom Baker 100 out of 100. I don't think that's a fair... I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. I sure. wouldn't, honestly, I wouldn't. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Because Sylvester's got his who to offer, you know, he's, yeah. a, he's a good actor. Yeah. Um, and what about what difference does a d d director make? You mentioned Tim Koopman, Silurians. I mean, Dave, David Maloney directed Genesis of the Daleks. Paddy Russell, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Yeah. So, and Gerald Blake didn't direct you in Doctor Who, but he did direct some Doctor Who's. So, so what, what about some of the directors that you worked with? What 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 different qualities would you say they had? I would say Jerry Blake. Had, had he lived, and I wish he had, he has all the qualities for all actors because all the time, rehearsal or performing, he talks to you like your brother. He adored actors. And so everybody wanted to do their best for him. And he didn't waste a minute, too. He has all the assets of a good director. And when he said something to you, it was because he knew what he was talking about. Uh, that sounds easy, but it isn't quite as easy as people seem to think, to have all the qualities of a sure. director. Uh, and also they're hampered, TV directors, a lot by the fact they've got so much technical to worry about and camera angles to worry about, and heaven knows what else to worry about. They haven't got that much time to say... I don't like that bit you did on page three because they, they don't really talk too much about the acting. They take a risk with you sometimes, which works quite often, or they've seen you at home in something too. That's a good way of looking at somebody. Mm. That's how I got work with some plays. One of my favorites was a true life documentary on BBC One. The, uh, on a series called Famous Trials for Treason, real ones. And I was in um, the one about Field Marshal Pétain, end of World War II in France, which was a documentary. It was all really, really said with a fabulous cast. I had one of the best parts in it as, as, as a former major, a real major in World War II, French one. Was I, was I going to speak for defense or, or attacking I think I was working for the prosecution. I said some things about the field marshal, I think. 
but I was pitied because I'd been severely injured in World War II and they made me come on in crutches in silence in a big studio with everybody looking at me <laughs> with crutches and cigar burns all over my face which the Gestapo had done to me so I looked rather interesting and it took ages to get my crutches up to the middle of the courtroom which was big a big courtroom they let me walk in silence uh, with the camera on me and stop at the witness stand where you have to stand and then total silence where they said right go ahead proceed and I just had to do one speech which was two A4 pages big A4 pages packed by heart well I was those, those days I'm good at learning having done rep halfway through it I dried on the take and instead of saying to the director could you cut here a sec I've dried I was too afraid to say it so I just stayed <laughs> I just stayed quiet for a minute I, in my brain I'm going my god what's the next line because it's on page two I know it's on page two begins page two and suddenly it hit me and I carried on the whole speech <laughs> So you just had a dramatic pause. Oh, God. <laughs> I believe they cut it out, the, the, the gap. I was terrified that I'd ruined it or that he'd go for me. I should have said, you know, I'm sorry. Just can we do take from here? Mm. Um, today I would. I would. But that was a lovely part. Mm. Fascinating, because Fia Marshall Pettin was found guilty and they stopped him being guillotined or is it uh, shot by by military men? I don't know. They were they would have the law was to shoot a traitors. Legally, he was found guilty of, of treason, and it ended up he went to prison. And he, um, I like these odd parts, which are one-offs. Mm. Mm. Well, you paid. You played all sorts of different types. Science fiction seems to have been good to you over the years as well, because you've done not just Doctor Who, you did oh, I Blake, know. Blake Seven, I know. and um, uh, Survivors. Survivors, yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, Robert uh, what, Powell's one that made him famous. Oh, Doomwatch. Doomwatch yes. made him famous. Yes. I was with uh, lovely um, Griffith Jones, mm. the father of Gemma Jones. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they were... There were days where I just thought, well, this is it. <laughs> this, is, this is my life. So, you know, I'll, the phone will ring, I know it will. You know, it, it was, <clears throat> I got on a bandwagon on TV. Fate, so kind to me. So outside of the Doctor Who parts then, what were some of your favourite things that you did on, on television? Parts, parts which I was allowed to have um, damn good speeches. As I say, I've just quoted one. The 30-minute theatre one was a good part as a, a, a cardinal from the Vatican coming to London to speak to a local bishop, English bishop, because it was a three-hander, so you're in charge. There's only three of you in charge of the, of the acting. Um, I have a list of parts I adore, but they're at home, and uh, my memory is not what it was for what I did, because I suddenly got very busy in TV. Some of the cop ones, because I was working with the divine John Thor, which I'd already done on stage with John at the Liverpool Playhouse. We did Around the World in 80 Days together when he was young. It was lovely. And what sort of character was he? Because he always played sort of rather t John. grumpy, grumpy oh, fellows. John was... They'd booked him. You're not going to believe this. He wasn't playing... Um, What's her name? The, the lead, who, who went round the world in 80 yeah, days. Uh, Phileas Fogg. Phileas Fogg. It was the Passepartout, yeah. his, his, his right-hand man. And I was Detective Fix, following them round the world. <laughs> and I know somebody in the cast who was ad-libbing at me through most of it. <laughs> on purpose to try and get me to smile. Oh, uh, really? To try and get you corpse? Very, very naughty. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I should have written a list before I met you, shouldn't I? Not at all, not at all. It's much free and easier than that. Yeah. Um, you, it's interesting, I remember reading 
I used to devour books about acting when I was a kid. One of them was um, Year of the King, Anthony Scher's book about preparing to play his famous Richard III. Yes, well, I was in that. Yes, and there's a moment where you come up to him and he's just decided to play it on crutches. And he says, Peter Miles came up to me and said, you're going to do it on crutches? And I said, yes. And he said, well, try and fight me then. And you were dubious as to whether he, he could fight. I said, supposing somebody pinches those crutches, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's bigger than you, <laughs> what the hell do you do then? So that was quite a fa- that was a very famous uh, uh, production, and you had a lovely part, Stanley. Is a yes, it's a great part. So. It's the only one that lives through the five acts, really. Yes. Yeah. And he has the moral dilemma because his his son is held sort of to ransom, isn't he? He has his own army. Mm. Yes. And Cher, oh, sorry, Richard III, sorry. Cher was stunningly brilliant, by the way. Um, uh, Richard Cher doesn't even trust him, quite frankly. Mm. There's a scene where he doesn't trust him. He says, if you misbehave, there is a scene where he's almost threatening me. Yeah. So I, I just stayed poker-faced, which got, got a small laugh. I don't know how Cher did that. But Cher, he can get up to anything, Anthony Cher. Uh, I, I was middle-aged then, and um, I'd done some really good parts in the theatre in this country. And if I play tinsy-winsy parts, but RSC is full of stars who are uh, booked from outside of the world of the RSC. I mean, think of Griffith Jones. Oh no, yes, Griffith Jones had been there mm. before I went there. Yeah. Um, and he was, a, you know, an established film star in British films, British films. And they, they, they do that. I mean, that's, now and again they pick somebody from within, like Roger Rees, and pick somebody from outside, like Ken Branagh, who was very young at the time. Mm. They do that, I, and I, I, I'm very glad they do. But the rest of us just have to... They know that we're, we're good at acting, but whatever the part fits... the the cast list you're shoved into, you know, whether you moan about it. I mean, I won't tell you who it was, but a senior director at the RSC said to me, heading towards the end of the season, uh, we're going to the Barbican, would you like to come with us? And I said, um, I'm really, I am really go around my, off my head in, in armour for another year uh, from Henry V. It, just doing that that little scene as Monsieur Le Fer uh, talking to uh, a knight, Bernard Horsfall, and uh, begging for I'm a deserter and I'm begging for my life. It's a good scene, but I mean, in full armour, just for f- six minutes. I mean, I was a, a, a French um, knight as well, not in armour, with massive robes. Massive black moustache, black beard, a lot, which were all glued on every flipping night. No, no, I, I, I'd just come from playing the lead in Cain Mutiny Court Martial and Cassius and Julius Caesar, for crying out loud. Mm. So, so that was Kenneth Branagh's Henry V, was it? Yes. Yeah. And Bernard Horsfall, of course, is uh, an actor of no mean Doctor Who pedigree. He did, uh, he did his fair share oh, of Doctor Who yeah, as well. He's super, isn't he? Yeah, lovely actor. Is he around? Sadly not, no. Oh, this is, this is a sad day. Apart it's... from the joy of meeting you, it's a sad day. I'm a sad day. I'm a harbinger of doom. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that in writing. <laughs> um, so... What were you asking about RSC? What well, yes, the RSC. Because well, uh, we, often when, when one talks to actors or hears actors interviewed, to television and film are always quite prominent, and, and sometimes we forget that actors, yes. actors, you know, actors, most actors are drawn to the profession because of the theatre. Yes, absolutely. So, so tell me about some of the parts you've enjoyed, you've enjoyed in the theatre, and perhaps that you feel that you, you did, did the most justice to. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I loved doing JB... American play based on the Old Testament story of Job and his family where God was pushing Job to the limit to see if he'd stay faithful to the Lord with his family and put him through a trial and it's put beautifully into modern America so that's why they initialed it JB hi JB mm-hmm. uh, now there are two people in it one's playing God Nick McArdle and once playing Satan, that's me, 
but we're not. We don't come on with horns and tails and brilliant light for God. No, we're two characters in the play. Uh, I'm connected to a, a circus, troubling circus. So it, the play opens with a, a ring of a circus. And I'm in ordinary, very ordinary clothes. But I am Satan. And I clash sometimes with God, who's up in a pulpit in the play. And we are both watching the history, life of Job, JB, what's happening to them, you know, making things happen to them. Uh, the part I played was played by Christopher Plummer in America. I forgot who played God. It might have been Raymond Massey. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's more up his street. I mean, Chris Plummer can do anything, really. He's big, a very great actor, in my humble opinion. He's a smashing bloke. I met him. Like, like all great... Paul Schofield's a bit reserved, if you talk to him. A bit reserved, you know. I, had to, I couldn't go on talking to him for long, because you could see that he didn't know me. I said, well, I have worked with your best friend for a long time. Who's that? I said, John Harrison. Oh, John, well, that's interesting. Birmingham Rep, well, he was a bit interested for a while. But what could I tell him that he hadn't done, which was a million times more famous? One of the greatest names we had, Schofield. Yes, amazing. He, absolutely. His, his ghost in Hamlet, in a movie, yes, was uh, wonderful. He's, uh, he's in the Might have been with Mel Gibson. He's in the Mel Gibson movie. It's, it's a it's wonderful. Oh, well, it's that voice. That voice is to be remembered for a long time. Yeah. And yeah. that face is wonderful. That weathered face is mm. wonderful. I mean, that's that's a stunning face that's weathered. Whereas Sid James's face <laughs> is is not exactly beautiful. But poor chap, he was a, he was a stunning actor, mm. Sid James. He was a terrific actor, Sid James. He died in the theatre I had worked with. Uh, doing a play with Eartha Kitt in. We were touring Britain before going into the West End at the Criterion, and um, he died with a heart attack during the play uh, in, in the Empire Theatre Sunderland. When Eartha Kitt and I went there, uh, that was an extra uh, venue, and they forgot to do any publicity. Oh, no. <laughs> so nobody knew we were coming. So it, what the management of the city did, they put a, 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 a curtain or cloth right across the stalls to halve it. I mean, come on. I mean, lovely Robert Beatty was in the play. Oh. Very well known. Yes. And wonderful David Kossoff. It was a lovely cast. It's a heck of a cast. And a friend of mine, Mary Preston, who was in the original premiere in London of The West Side Story, dancing. Well, she'd have to be acting as well. She was one of the gang in West Side Story. Wow. And it's a good actress like Linda Gardner was, who uh, who trained as a young, very young woman at the Royal Ballet, but became a super actress. I worked with her in The Devils by John Whiting at the Leeds Playhouse in the days when the Yorkshire Ripper was around. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Which way are you going home tonight, Peter? Well, I won't go in, in. I won't go home in drag. That's for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say? Would you say? Is is the immediacy of the audience being there? Does that make theatre more enjoyable to perform than television? Absolutely. I bet you ninety percent of actors would say exactly the same as I've just said. The intimacy of doing it right there, that very minute, in front of various types of people. If you've got them, if the play's got, got them still and the cast are good, I mean, it, that's, it's a one-off. It's only that audience that you're playing to. It's very special. Mm -hmm. You know, for them, it's a premiere. They haven't seen the play before, you know, you haven't done it to them. So anything could happen. It's wonderful. I love that. I love it. The Liverpool Playhouse with Gareth Thomas was where we were doing JB, mm. and I loved France's number one farce writer of 19th century days of Gigi, 
when I did uh, The Bird Watcher by, by George Fedo, uh, and I played one of the main, main parts. I think I've got his name in the back of my brain. Begins with D. Anyway, who cares? Uh, it was a good, very good part. Uh, I loved. I love doing modern comedy. I can't put it into words how much I love doing modern comedy. And uh, I love doing fast because I was raised on doing one for the pot by Ray Cooney. I did that in about five theatres. And Ray Cooney got to hear of me and asked me to do the summer season in is it Channel Islands. Yes, that's right. And uh, silly me, I turned him down. I said, I've been doing it for so many months now, I go mad. One for the pot fast. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. I go mad. Your well, variety is always is the spice of a. a well, I thought I was doing so well, you know, I'll get another part anyway. I was, you begin to f think like that, but you, what you are is you're on a roller coaster, and all roller coasters come to an end, all of them, except maybe 2%. Mm -hmm. Uh, who work through their life to death. A very small percent do that. What you're seeing is a repeat fee, quite often. A repeat, repeat fee in my mind, sorry. Freudian <laughs> <laughs> repeat, <laughs> repeat fee, no, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not getting many repeat fees from the many DVDs I'm on on Freeview, I can tell you that. Well. I'm no. owed money, but so, so are a lot of people. No, well, it, and it's with the increase of, of satellite channels, and it's, it's yes, where, they don't really police Somebody it. said, oh, I saw you on, in Sweeney. Where were you? I said, oh, I was in South Devon near Cornwall. I said, well, nobody's ever paid me for that. It's just been on television. No. Do they pay John Thor? I said. I don't know what goes on, really, I don't know. No. Three views. No, equity aren't really very hot on it anymore, unfortunately. No, they're not. Um, but, uh, well, look, I've exceeded the amount of time I said I would spend with you, Peter, so that's, um, it's, it's funny, I, I, I was only reminded of this that um, when we were having lunch that uh, I saw you in the trial of Davros, which was a charity thing that you did where you played... Live, live theatre. Live theatre, playing Nida. So the, the fact that you've got this character that still has this sort of life beyond your... Life beyond, yeah. Life, I mean, it must be quite extraordinary. I know it's extraordinary. Michael Wishers was beginning to know it was extraordinary till his uncomely, un, untimely death, I mean. Not uncomely, untimely death. He was beginning to realise it. I said, we've got to accept it. Um, Terry Nation's script was stunning. Michael, you were wonderful. And then he said to me, Peter, you were wonderful. Tom Baker was wonderful. The cast were wonderful. <laughs> it all worked, yeah. What sort of character was he, Michael Wishers? Because he always played these sort of... Funny clipped aliens. Was I uh, no, I don't know much. I've seen a lot of photos about him doing telly, uh, but I imagine he's a versatile devil. We all know, and Tom Baker will vouch for this, that he's a very good actor. He admires Michael Wisher very much. I think most fans think Wisher was terrific mm. as Davros. So the trial of Davros was inevitable. I enjoyed doing that because <laughs> the sci-fi fans, 1,011 of them, went mad when I walked on and went mad when Davros you, walked you on. You had a thing I've seen the very movie. rarely in the theatre. You had an entrance round, which I think is pretty good going. <laughs> it was. It was one you, you... I had to stand still for a little bit. Yes, you have to do that sort of acting where you're, you, you just yes. stop for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's sci-fi fans. It's a cult. We are a cult. Same as Liverpool fans will cheer them forever. And Man United people will cheer them. It's a cult, sci-fi. Yeah. Very serious cult. Look at Star Wars. My God. Yeah. Whee. Well, it's that that has uh, nominally brought us brought us together, and I'm very grateful to you for your time, which you don't get paid for, I don't get paid for, the listeners haven't paid for this, yeah. so we asked them to donate to a charity. What is your yeah. charity of choice, Peter? My charity is definitely one of my two favourites, which is the RSPCA. The cruelty to animals in this country is appalling still, as it is to some children. I, I donate every month to the NSPCC, and I don't, I can't afford to give too many charities. I give uh, to Salvation Army for people who are out on their luck. 
and I'd love to give a donation to the RSPCA. Well, we will ask the viewers to do that on uh, the listeners to do that on your behalf. And the the, the final question is that uh, this this the, the starting point for this discussion was Doctor Who. Doctor Who, as we speak, is fifty two years old. What is your message to the many Doctor Who fans out there listening to us, Peter? That is a superb question. <laughs> I wish you'd warned me about. It. Uh, uh, I would say to them, I've met thousands of you. I just think you're all wonderful. I truly do. And uh, I'd like to compliment you on your very good taste. Thank you. And I've wanted to do this interview for many reasons, um, but one of which is, because it's the only one I can end in this way, is to say, Peter Miles, thank you. That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> thank you, Peter Miles. That was great. I hope that was okay for you. Is that alright for you? My thanks to Peter, Peter Miles, Doctor Who legend, whose charity is the RSPCA, www.rspca.org.uk, rspca.org.uk. If you could give uh, any small amount to them, uh, it will all add up if everybody who listens to this does it. My thanks to Alex Moore, who lined up that uh, interview, and there will be another one of these around uh, about the same time next week. Till then, stay well. Ta-ta. This isn't my wedding. And this isn't 1944. Doctor, you said you were taking me home. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Don't answer that phone. Doctor Who. Static. Don't answer it. Leave it alone. Hello? Big finish. We love stories. Uh, come on, Constance. Breathe. Breathe. She's Breathe. gone, Doctor. Uh, She's no. dead. No. I can bring her back. I can save her. It's too late, Doctor. Oh, Constance. Never giving up. Never giving in. Never giving up.